Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. I get nervous. I can sing in front of people, but I, talking messes me up. And I talk fast, so I'm going to try to slow down, but we'll see how it goes. Um, Michael was just talking about how Jesus is the answer, and I chose these songs because that is the point of today. So we're going to talk about why Jesus is the answer. Most of us know why, but sometimes we have to be reminded. So that is what we're talking about today. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the whole world seems to be a little depressed lately (laughs) and anxious and scared. And those feelings tend to bring about this feeling that we have been abandoned by God. And if you don't think that is going around, that feeling, I would just encourage you to look at Facebook. (laughs) Do you know how many people share about, you know, how we need to do this to get God to come back? It's all about bringing God back. And I'm like, God hasn't gone anywhere. But this feeling of being abandoned, we're not the first people to have felt it. The disciples felt it right after Jesus died, right? And that's where we're going to start this morning. We're going to start in Luke 24, 13 through 35, and it is long, so I'm going to read slow. Um, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in 
to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I believe most people who have been in the church for any amount of time know that story. Last week on the way home from church, Kurt actually brought the story up to me. And I already knew what I was preaching about. I had an idea. Um, but the truth of what he was saying stuck with me. And the story had relevance to exactly where I find myself today. Kurt said he believed a lot of us are on our own Emmaus road. We feel alone, but Jesus is right beside us, walking with us. The question I want to ask you this morning is, are you on the Emmaus Road? Everyone is asking where Jesus is, but I believe and know he's here with us. Unfortunately, we don't see him because we aren't looking hard enough. The Old Testament and New Testament both direct believers to seek and draw near to God. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The reward for those who seek him is clarified in James 4.8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jeremiah gives clear instructions on how we find God in Jeremiah 29.13. He says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And finally, 1 Chronicles 16, 11 says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. And take that word presence, and I need you to just kind of highlight it in your brain and let it sit there because we're coming back. So remember that word. And we're going to say it a lot this morning. Um, scripture makes it clear that when we seek God wholeheartedly, he draws near to us. There are seasons of our lives when God truly feels silent. We are seeking him diligently, yet we struggle to find him. But that's not always the case. Sometimes we aren't really looking for him because we're comfortable in the distance that we have found from him. We convince ourselves we're looking for him, and so then we can blame the lack of int intimacy on him. We tell ourselves, he said he would come if I was searching for him, and I'm searching for him, and he hasn't showed up. So it is on him. But it is so important that we seek the presence of God. It should be the top of our to-do list. However, I believe it often falls to the bottom. And that's why we find ourselves on an Emmaus road. Focusing and prioritizing the cares of the world is what places us on that Emmaus road. That's what knocks searching for the presence of Jesus to the bottom of our to-do list. And you can see that with the disciples that Jesus was walking with. They were focused on what was happening in the world. Jesus has already told them what would happen, and he had already told them the future that was to come, but instead they chose to focus on what exactly was happening in that moment. And they didn't see the future that Jesus had already promised. 
Luke 24, 18 says, Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? They were talking about his death and all the unrest surrounding him. And I'm sure they were probably talking about the politics of it. Where was the power going to go? What would happen now that the Messiah didn't do what he was supposed to do? I'm sure they were questioning what was going to happen to their families, what was going to happen in the villages. So, yes, they were talking about Jesus, but they were also focusing on their world. We're focused on our world right now. We're focused on politics, sickness, and our country, and sometimes that keeps us from seeing Jesus. We spend so much time talking and focusing on how to end the pandemic, about who's president, what we're going to do about Afghanistan, (laughs) what we're going to do about this, what's going to happen to our families. We scroll through Facebook and sit in front of our news religiously. I do want to take a moment to say, I am not saying that as a believer, you should not be up to date on current events or care about the country. But I do want to emphasize that Jesus died for you. He didn't come to save the USA. He didn't come to save any country. He came for people. Every single one of us individually. No citizenship gets you closer to Jesus. People in countries ruled by dictators have close relationships with Jesus. And their spiritual life and salvation, which is the greatest gift and good we could ever possess, it's thriving. And many of our spiritual lives are struggling. So why? Because many of us, not all of us, but many of us, have prioritized the cares of the world right now over seeking the presence of God, myself included. I took a moment to self-assess my life while I was writing this sermon, and I encourage you to do the same. I asked myself, have I spent more time in prayer or worried about COVID in the past year? Have I dedicated more time to reading current events on Facebook or reading the words of God? Have I sat in the presence of my friends and discussed the worries for our countries, for our country more often than I have discussed the goodness and faithfulness of Jesus? Confession, I've spent way more time focusing on the world than Jesus in the past two years. In the past two years, I have seen a dramatic rise of depression and anxiety in those in my closest circle. But that's not just my circle. The Mental Health Association reports in September 2020, the rate of moderate to severe anxiety peaked. Over 8 in 10 people who took an anxiety screen scored moderate to severe symptoms. Over 8 in 10 people who took a depression screen scored moderate to severe depression symptoms. And that's been consistently going up since the beginning of the pandemic. The estimated number of adults with serious suicidal thoughts in this country is over 10.3 million, an increase of nearly 450,000 people from 2019. 13% of youth aged between 12 and 17 report suffering from at least one major depressive episode in 2020. And that's our country. Barna you know, which talks to church people. It reports that in May 2020, 33% of the millennial church members' interviews said they needed most help with emotional support 
over financial and food. So it's clear that depression and anxiety are on the rise, along with fear, anger, and so many other emotional and spiritual ailments. We blame this on our world, but as we know, when we prioritize the world, we don't spend time in the presence of Jesus. Why is the presence of Jesus so important? Because without spending time in the presence of him, we can't receive the gifts of his presence. So what do I mean by the gifts of his presence? These gifts are only experienced and cultivated in the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Some gifts of God remain regardless of our only daily response to him. Provision, children, money, blessings of life. Yet there are other gifts that are given in proportion to our time dedicated to Jesus. These gifts are dependent on being fed by the presence of Jesus. There are many gifts of his presence, but I'm just going to focus on a few this morning because we don't have time to go through all of them. The first one being rest. Rest is often connected to being with Jesus in the presence of God. Matthew 11:28 through 30 is quite famous. And it says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my, soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Where should we go when we are exhausted? To the arms of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say he's going to give you rest when you're way over there. Jesus says, come here. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Exodus thirty-three fourteen says, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. A little background on what's happening. Moses received these words from God during their discussion at the burning bush. God had called Moses to do the most exhausting thing imaginable. He wanted him to lead an entire country out of slavery and then to a new place. Yet God promised to be with Moses. And since God promised to be with Moses, he promised to give him rest. And if you read that passage, you'll see that God's presence is so important to Moses, he refuses to go without it. He had to be assured that he would have the presence of God before he went out. Why? Because he realized that the only, that only the presence of God would give him what he needed, which was rest, strength, peace, and the power to fulfill the calling that God had placed on him. The next thing we see is strength. There are tons of references to receiving God's strength in the Old Testament because they're fighting a whole bunch of battles. So this is where we go. Um, Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not Fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Again, he commands them to be strong because he is with them, because they are in the presence of God. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Again, God's presence is the prerequisite for his strength. They find strength because God is with them. 
Exodus 15:2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Moses did not write, the Lord gives me strength. Rather, he said, the Lord is my strength, because the Lord is here. The next one that we're going to talk about is joy. Throughout the Psalms, we see that joy, again, is received in the presence of God. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David clearly states that God's presence is what brings about the joy. Peace. Jesus says peace is found in him. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Peace cannot be found apart from Jesus. Only when we are in the arms of Jesus do we find peace. And Aaron said in number 6, 26 through 27, May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. The Hebrew word that Aaron used is translated as countenance. But that is such a complicated word if you actually look at what the Hebrew means by that word. And as you read all the definitions of countenance, you get a fuller grasp of the word. And it implies the presence of a person, typically a person who is of higher rank than oneself. Aaron is literally saying, may God turn his face towards you so that you are in his presence and so that you may experience peace. Further, all the fruit of the Spirit are given through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not only joy and peace, but also love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're fruit. Fruit needs to be cultivated to grow. It needs very specific circumstances to grow. And the specifics needed to grow spiritual fruit is the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why they are fruit of the Spirit. Vincent says the graces here mentioned are the natural, genuine product of the influences of the Spirit upon the mind of man. It's what happens when we are in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Think back to a few minutes ago when we were talking about seeking God and seeking His presence. When we obey and seek Him wholeheartedly, then His presence produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I want to point out that This idea of gifts of presence, as I'm calling them, it's not a new thought. It's something that we acknowledge in daily life. We see gifts of presence all the time. Our spiritual life is the only time when we honestly believe we can receive these gifts without the presence of the one giving the gift. So imagine a father and his young son are leaving Walmart. It's late at night, so the parking lot is very dark. And the little boy looks out into the parking lot and becomes afraid. And he tells his dad that he's scared. But then instead of staying beside his dad, in the presence of his dad, he takes off running into the darkness of the parking lot. Once he's gotten a good ways away from his dad, he yells, Dad, I'm really scared. 
please give me your strength and peace so I won't be so scared. And the dad calls back or calls out, come back and hold my hand. But instead, the little boy stands his ground and he says, no, I need strength right now. I need peace right now. I have faith that you can give that to me. And he doesn't move. He just stands there in the parking lot, in the darkness, scared. That's when the dad walks out. And he finds the boy, and he grabs his hand. And once he grabs his hand, the boy is not afraid. He is at peace. He is strong, not because of him, but because of the person whose hand he's holding. The strength and the peace of the Father cannot be given apart from the very presence of the Father. If you feel like I have repeated presence a lot, it's because I have. I cannot emphasize the necessity of being near Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God enough. Because Jesus cannot give you the gifts of his presence without you being in his presence. Faith is not the answer. You cannot have enough faith to experience God's strength, peace, rest, all the other fruits of the Spirit apart from him. We know that faith is important in seeking him. Definitely. Hebrews 16 or 11, 6 that we read earlier makes that so abundantly clear. So I'm not saying faith is not involved. Faith is not the presence of God, though. Faith is what ushers us into the presence. It is what brings us into the presence of God. But faith alone, without drawing near, isn't what brings peace and joy. It's not what brings strength and rest. Today you may feel angry or frustrated at God or with yourself because you lack peace, strength, rest, joy. The list goes on. Maybe you feel like God is not giving you what you desperately need right now. You're in the midst of depression, anxiety, and fear. And you're the little boy in the parking lot. I'm the little boy in the parking lot. We keep calling back to God, asking and begging for these things that we need from him, but we're not receiving it. But the gifts aren't being withheld. But by their very nature, they are impossible to give apart from himself. And we instantly recognize that that little boy is being ridiculous. But we're asking the very same of God. These gifts are always linked to being close to the Father or by walking in the ways of the Holy Spirit. We are seeing the effects of neglecting to be in the presence of Jesus. The effects of anxiety, depression, fear, cowardice, worry, exhaustion. It goes on. However, the gifts of Jesus' presence are the answer. So how do we live in the presence of Jesus? It's not simply a daily devotional or making sure you say your prayers, which are good. The Bible gives us many examples of how we seek the presence of God. The first one, fixing our thoughts on Jesus. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Peace comes from being in the presence, as we've established. The directive here to have peace, thus to be in the presence, is trust and fixing our thoughts. 
Trusting Jesus every second of every day to be our salvation. And when we mess up and ask forgiveness, we trust that Jesus truly forgives us and does not hold it against us. We trust that Jesus has said what he has said of our future is true. As believers, we will live with him in eternity. We will see our loved ones again. We will experience joy forevermore. We trust Jesus with our lives. When trouble comes, we trust that Jesus is with us. We trust that he cares about what we walk through. We trust that he is who he says he is and that he loves us. And we trust that he is with us whether we realize it or not. We trust that he, um, we tr- that trust ushers us into the presence of Jesus. It keeps us walking in the ways of the Spirit. Next, fixing our thoughts. This one sounds so complicated because how am I supposed to fix my thoughts on Jesus? What does that really look like? Does it mean thinking about Jesus every second of the day? A thought, I, that's what I really thought it meant when I was little, you know? And I'm like, I can't think about Jesus all day. But how do I think about Kurt and Ashlyn? I don't think of them every second of the day. I would get nothing done. But they do come to mind throughout the day, right? Sometimes if I haven't heard from Kurt in a few hours, I wonder what he's up to. If I see Ashlyn's toy laying in the floor, I'm like, man, Ashlyn had fun playing earlier, right? And whenever I see a Reese's cup, I also think about Kurt because he loves it. And then I eat it before he gets home. Um, This is one of the ways we fix our thoughts on Jesus. That same way, when we see the sky, when we see the trees, when we see someone we love, when we see something that is so beautiful and its goodness catches our breath, we think of Jesus. Because he is the one that created what we are looking at. Or when a thought threatens to condemn us, for a sin we committed in the past, we remember our forgiveness through Jesus. And we think about him and how wonderful what he has done for us is. It's those moments throughout the day spent appreciating Jesus. That is fixing our thoughts on Jesus. The next thing we do to stay in the presence is we read his word. Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I realize this is Old Testament, but this is how God expected people to treat his word then, right? He expected them to teach them to their kids. He expected them to talk about his words in the morning, at night, and throughout the day. He expected them to be reminded of them when they were out and when they came home. He wanted his words to be woven throughout their days. You don't have to spend all day every day reading the Bible. Again, we've established it's not what we do. I just believe God wants us to remember his words throughout the day. When you read, the goal is that those words remain in your mind and heart. Or as Proverbs 7.3 says, write them on the tablet of your heart. His words educate our decisions. They guide us in life. They remind us who he is and who we are. They are our light to walk by, and they keep us in the presence and the ways of the Spirit. 
the next thing we do is pray. Ephesians 3, 12 through 14 says, In him, Jesus, through faith, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged when, because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Paul dedicates a lot of Ephesians 3 to the discussion of prayer. But from verses 12 through 14, it is abundantly clear that Paul considers prayer to be approaching the Father. Because Jesus died our deaths and redeemed us, we are able to enter the throne room of God through prayer. And obviously that brings us right into the presence of God. Paul considers prayer to literally be kneeling before him. And one of the clearest ways to be in the presence of God is through prayer. The last thing, follow him. And we read this verse earlier. I'm going to read it one more time. Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Greek word for come is the same as follow. He's not saying simply come to him. Yes, come to him. But he's also instructing us to follow his ways. And what are his ways? The greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's following in the ways of Jesus. So Jesus hasn't gone anywhere this morning. But many of us are blind to his presence and we are not seeking it. So let's commit to seeking his presence. Truly, truly, desperately seeking it. Let's encourage each other as a group of believers to live and walk in the presence of Jesus, because we need it. And his presence alone is what will bring you rest, strength, joy, peace, and all the other fruit of the Spirit. The very things that combat anxiety, depression, exhaustion, and sadness. So I'm going to ask the band to come up as we finish. Um, our world definitely brings trouble. But we have a choice. We can choose today to turn our focus away from the world and everything going on and turn it towards Jesus. There are more ways than what I've shared to live in the presence of God, live in the presence of Jesus. I encourage you to discuss this with others. Read the Bible. Seek it out. How you can live in the presence. Walk in the ways of the Holy Spirit every day. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for being with us this morning. And God, I pray that as a congregation, we will seek your presence. I pray that we will realize that our focus has not been on you. And that is why our souls are so empty right now. I thank you that by simply being in your presence, God, that I can find peace and rest and strength and everything I need for this life. And God, I'm sorry that I've taken it for granted.
Thank you for who you are. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the gift of the church and each other. And thank you for forgiveness and for living my life for me because you know how much I fall short. Thank you for your love. And we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.